Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome back to Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here. This is podcast 491. We've got a special guest today and want to welcome John Fisher. Hello and thank you. Oh, it's good to have you here. Let me do a quick bio so everyone knows what we're talking about here. John Fisher is a constructive psychologist and coach. John has spent the last 25 years working in change management, personal development, and coaching. He helps people develop their skills, organizations improve their performance, and build effective, cohesive teams. He firmly believes organizations don't change. This is important. People do. All right. Good to have you here. We have to start with our very first question. John, what is the worst vegetable on the planet and why? Mm, Good question, Kurt. Thank you. I was going to give the obvious answer, Brussels sprouts, (laughs) but thinking about it, I suddenly realized I probably hate green beans or string beans even more. They look like a pea pod that's lost all its peas. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh they get so gooey and, and soggy, and the problem here is they try to, for Thanksgiving, is they try to make it into a casserole, but it, it never works out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, and you end up with a pile of mush left on your plate when you've, <laughs> when you've discarded them. So If you're a kid, you hope there's a dog underneath the table, right? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> right. All right, John, I got to start off and ask you, what exactly is a constructivist psychologist? Effectively, it's somebody who follows an American psychologist, George Kelly, who came up with the theory of personal constructs back in the 50s. And it's somebody who recognizes or works within the fact that everybody's a unique individual. And to be able to engage well with them, we have to understand their language. So we have to recognize that just because we use a word that's the same as the word they use doesn't mean that it has the same meaning for them. And uh, George Kelly also went on to talk about the fact that we all anticipate events by our past experiences of those events and acting as if that past experience was true. So it's about the other person and it's about putting the eye into change and making change personal. I know you focus a lot on change, right? Change, change management, organizations want to change, we want to change. I mean, we have New Year's coming up, New Year's resolutions, we all want change and so things. What do you see, see the biggest obstacle, blunder? Because they want it. It's not, I mean, you can go to anybody on the street and say, hey, you want to be financially independent? And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> they're doing mm. nothing about it. So what are we missing here? It's again, not a matter of want. I think that's a really good question because I do think we're missing something fundamental. Really, it's about one of the key influences for me personally with Pertinent uh, is the WIFM, what's in it for me, giving people a reason to change, helping them understand 
the impact of that change on their sense of identity and sense of person. It's about changing what they do, not who they are. And too much change, in my experience, doesn't bring the person along and doesn't identify the impact on their sense of identity from having to change what they've done for a long time. Is that, is that a motivation thing? Is, it seems like, yeah. are we changing because it's not internal, it's intrinsic versus intrinsic? Are we trying to change too much because of what society wants? Is that kind of what you're saying? That's kind of what I'm saying, yes. And for change, Kelly came up with a brilliant quote. People can change anything, but they must first change themselves. For me, it's about tapping into that. What does it mean for me to change? Why should I change? What will I gain from that change? But more importantly, what do I lose by changing? So it's about tapping into both the pros and cons of changing, but also being well aware of the pros and cons of not changing. The classic example, as you say, everybody wants to change. Christmas comes up, we make our New Year resolutions. But then Boxing Day or the day after New Year's Day, we suddenly realize the implications of what it means for us to change. So that smoking, the dieting, the drinking, uh, and all the rest of those have an implication for who we are and our sense of identity. And if we don't recognize and manage that sense of identity, we don't change. So we've talked about that before on the show, you know, that self-persuasion, change yourself first. If you can't lead yourself, you can't lead other people. If you can't lead yourself, Um, you can't change other people. I was just going to say the Lao Tzu quote that I use regularly when I'm doing team training and individual, mastery of other people is strength. Mastery of yourself is true power. And it's about tapping into that me. Agreed. Yeah. As you know, probably everyone works on last, right? They run to the Mm. other things first. You got to change yourself. You got to influence yourself. You got to do it every day. It's not something we can just do once or twice. Yeah. So tell us about your uh, change curve and how that can help, whether it be individually, organizations. What do we know? Because change is happening faster and faster. The world knowledge base, the world is changing. So we got to deal with this. And we do know the younger generation deals with it better than the older generation. So tell us about this curve. The curve really is about our reaction to our understanding of the change. I use the drawing of the classic S-shaped curve, where a slight rise at the beginning, where that just little bit of something's going to change, this might be good. It goes back to our anticipation. Change we've been in before has been good and positive. We're more likely to anticipate it and act in a positive way. If it isn't, seen as a positive or we don't quite know what to expect then there's going to be some resistance to that change the basic s shape of the curve going down into the uh, valley of confusion the bottom of the curve there is about a growing realization of the impact of that change on who we are what we do and how we do it so if we're asking somebody to fundamentally change their processes, the practices, the people that they talk to and engage with, then that's going to have implications for their friendships, their idea of their past, and when they did things in the past, 
they can potentially start thinking that was wrong, they were doing it wrong, because they've now been told that they've got to be a transformational change leader. Managing is no longer the right thing to do. And all the all those sort of processes and new things that come about that say, do this, do this, don't do that anymore. We then start to internalize that and start thinking about what does this mean for me? Am I as good as I thought I was? Why wasn't I clever enough, fast enough to recognize this change? Why has it taken so long? So we start internalizing that and anger comes in there initially at the change being forced upon me, but then on myself for not doing that change well and effectively enough. Then takes us down into that confusion. What do I do? Where do I go? which is where change agents can help both the individual and the organization in understanding the implications, in recognizing what worked really well in the old system, but then being able to put a closure on it and give people that new vision, that new way of working, that route map to get to whatever that new vision is to then help them visualize, internalize and commit to that change. I also added a couple of extra ways coming off this curve, though, to get through into effectiveness. So I included hostility and denial. And I found that some people stick their head in the sand, just ignore the change, deny it's ever happened, while others work really, really hard to prove that you're an idiot for forcing me to change and do everything they can to make the old systems work well and operate as they should do. And there's only energy that differentiates the two. And the third way of it is effectively leaving, recognizing that my values are worth more to me than being forced to adopt your values. So I'm going, I respect myself more than, and I'm out of here. So that's effectively the curve, Kurt. Let's say I'm a manager, you know, I have the big meeting, we're doing the big change. I put the vision in. We've talked a lot about vision because if people can't see it mentally, it's not going to happen physically. That's Mm. a key aspect of the change. And then I've got that one mean, negative, Nancy, pessimistic person in the room. You know the type. And I always say that every team has to have one. It's just the law of the universe, right? Yeah. So they start being negative and they're not seeing the positive. They're pulling the team down. Any recommendations on dealing with that? Because I think every manager leader in the world's dealt with that one. Uh, definitely. Uh, and it's that classic, you can only change the organization one person at a time. So part of it is getting the people who get it to help promote, sell the vision, sell the route map. And part of it is addressing directly with that one negative person some of the reasons why the negative and understanding what they'll lose by doing that change. So will they be losing their circle of friends? Will they be in a different seat in the organization physically? Because people get very connected to where they sit and it has connotations for them. So it's about understanding what the individual will lose and then helping them look at what do they want to support it? How can they make it work? So I use a lot of Tad James's timeline therapy as part of that, what I do and that visualization. 
So how can it look for you? What would you want to make this work and close off the past? We can't do that way anymore because, again, one of the key influences for me with WIFM is because. So the reason that we can't and help them understand that and then by engaging with them and helping them be part of the solution, that increases their buy-in as I'm sure you know from all of the influence and persuasion podcasts that you've run. Listeners, I hope you caught that. You have to change one person at a time, starting with yourself, right? Getting in the right state, yep. the right mindset, yep. and uh, persuading yourself, especially if it's a corporate decision, you better find out, get yourself a why, like you mentioned, the what's in it for me, which mm. is important. And then you start changing one at a time. And it seems like, I think what you said, if there's going to be a lot of resistance changing one people at a time, if there's going to be a lot of acceptance, do it more in a group setting to launch it. Would you agree with yeah. that? I would agree with that. And then it allows you to work individually once you've identified some of those, because it's really about changing their actions, not their identity. So get the group working, use the group dynamics to help influence, persuade, use the individual one-to-one to help understand and to communicate. And it's about effectively co-creating that new world and to do that and one definition of a team is something like a group of people who understand each other well enough to dance around their sensitivities to then get a joint agreement and action so we're doing this change how do we deal with the resistance i mean the we resistance. see it all over the place it's a no-brainer we maybe their jobs even the line we still get this resistance mm. and i think a lot of that too is the the influencer, sometimes, oh, they're not going to change. I think they, they kind of right. creating our own resistance, their resistance, dealing with resistance. Tell us yeah, about it's, resistance. <laughs> it's dealing with their resistance. When I've done this in workshops, I've put the curve on the floor and challenged people to stand where they are on the change in that curve and then facilitated discussions because you may get a manager who really makes it work and see the positives in it. And their team are all still struggling about what it means for them. But you've also got the other end of it where the manager's really struggling and their team are all trying to make it work and really gung-ho and managing those dynamics of helping each other, sometimes upward mentoring, sometimes that group decision. A guy called Finn Schudy came up with a superb little model for looking at resistance to change which is effectively that pros and cons. So what's the argument for change? What's the negative about now? And what's the positives about where I'm going to be in the future? But then looks at what's the positives about now and what's the negatives about the future? And if that third line is more powerful, stronger than the line above it, the arguments for change, people just won't change they'll continue to resist and fight against it because they can't see any value or benefit for themselves in the new world. Interesting. So let's say they've seen the value. Everyone's on board. This could be even individually. You know, you're decided Mm. this is the year I'm going to lose weight, quit smoking, whatever it is. For a lot, I mean, they make the commitment. That's what they want. There's definitely something in it for them to be healthier. I mean, Mm. fill in the blank. Midway motivation. What happens? I mean, about halfway, I don't know, weekend, two weeks in, month in. Yeah, who cares? Uh, Nobody loves me. I don't want to change. I don't want to do this. Pass the ice cream. 
<laughs> definitely that would be the next issue a lot of people are running into the midway motivation whether it be a week or a month or even six months people can lose it, it. can be yeah very much so kurt and that's part of that downward slope where we're losing more than we're gaining so i give up smoking what do i do with my hands i've started eating i've given up smoking so i'm putting on weight so i don't like this all my friends are smoking i feel left out because they're smoking it's almost I'm of a generation to remember friends and Rachel going outside and starting to smoke so she could be with everybody who went out uh, at the smoke breaks and everything. So that's where we're then coming with the motivation to say, what else can you do? How else can you use your hands? How else can you still talk to your friends without smoking, without eating to help you do that? And personal construct is a very self-motivational theory that says we make the best choices for ourselves with the knowledge we have at that time. It's about helping them understand there's alternatives, there's other options. And I found doing this in teams really helpful because the teams can share with each other some of the things they've done and some of the ways they've got around that lack of change that lack of motivation that inclination to go back to the way things were great information on change what is the one thing maybe you want to bring up or that i missed that our listeners really need to know about change change management whether it be individual or, or within an organization i think maybe the key thing is about understanding their language understanding what they mean when they use a word or when they use a phrase so that we can then influence them more effectively. One of the classics is if we use the extrovert introvert labels that people get applied to them a lot. Introvert can mean quiet, can mean shy, can mean wallflower, can also mean somebody who enjoys their own company, somebody who likes solitude. The extrovert can be loud, in your face, noisy, as well as life and soul of the party. So it's understanding that word and how the other person means it to then be able to converse and to communicate and to influence them more effectively. Well said. Well, thanks. Thanks for that information. I mean, that's big insight and change, which everybody wants to change others, right? And change themselves. Mm. Where can our listeners find out more about you and what you do? Yep. Uh, thank you. So my website is C, the number two, and D. So charlie2delta.co.uk, uh, and there's a wealth of information on there about my curve, about some of the other models that I've used in change management, as well as uh, examples and papers that I've given at uh, conferences on change and uh, recognizing how and why people do and don't change. So c2d.co.uk. Thank you, Kurt. Thanks, John, for that great information. Change is so important personally, organizationally, within families. It's just speeding up. All the links will be available at MaximizeYourInfluence.com, also the home of the Persuasion IQ Assessment. Remember, take something that you learned today, apply it, use it, become more influential. Tell your family and friends and enemies about the podcast. You can find us under Maximize Your Influence under iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeart, and YouTube.
Remember, take something you learn, apply it, use it, become a better person, and go out and persuade with power. <laughs>